Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 8 today. We're going to see, we, as we've walked through this book, we started a long time ago, but as we've started to walk through again, we have to remember who this is to. This is to a people that is struggling, a people that is under persecution, a people that is, is scattered and these new converts. There's, there's husbands that have turned to Christ and wives have. There's wives that turn to Christ and husbands have. And, we, and the, the encouragement is still the same. The encouragement is that Christ alone is to be your hope. Christ alone is to be your joy. We're going to see three things in our little short text this morning. Three groups that this text speaks to. First, we're going to see the cornerstone, Christ. Christ is the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of Zion, as it says here. Second thing we're going to see is the Christian. What is, who is, who are the Christians and what hope do we have? How are we identified with Christ? And the final thing, the group we're going to see is the contrary. She's shutting the door. Finally, we're going to see is the contrary. Those who have rejected Christ and those that will do so to their own peril. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Oh, I skipped one. Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are a good God, that you are a good God that has called us to be identified with your son, that has called us to be call, come close to your son. Father, I pray as we, as we seek what it means to be these living stones, to follow the living stone, that you'd be magnified, you'd be glorified in all we do. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. We're going to not quite walk through this step by step. You can be seated, Garden. We're going to not quite walk through this step, uh, verse by verse today. I, instead, I, I, I structured this looking at the three different groups that are in our text. So the first group we're going to see is the cornerstone, verses 4 and then again in 6a. But uh, before we get there, I want to look at just verse, the beginning of verse 4. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Now, first thing you need to see is that go back to verse three. It says, indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, Yahweh, that the that Yahweh is good. Well, that same Lord in verse three is now the the him in verse four, 
And the him in verse 4 is Jesus. Every time we get to a verse that, that points to Jesus as Lord, though everyone here I trust believes that, it's important to point out because it's, it's the cornerstone of our faith. Now, the next thing you need, we need, want to see is that in this short little half of a verse, we're introduced to all three of the parties. First, we have you. As you come to him. So you, that's the Christian. As those who are going to come to him, come to him. Now, where's the second one? Him. That's Christ. A living stone rejected by men. So where's the third one? The men. The men that are going to reject Christ and that have rejected Christ. Specifically here, what Peter is writing to is he's writing to these people that are under harsh persecution. And he's telling them, the men that are rejecting you also are rejecting Christ. And he's telling them to, to, to persevere through that. But let's keep going and see, see what else he has to say. He says, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So we're talking about this cornerstone. This cornerstone is both chosen and precious. What does it mean that Christ is chosen and precious? For, uh, Peter, same author, uh, said in a sermon in Acts chapter 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it, it was not possible for him to be held by it. So here, here's how, why he's precious and chosen. Because he, from the beginning, this wasn't an afterthought, from the beginning, the, the plan A of salvation and redemption was Jesus Christ. He's chosen, the chosen one. That's what the Messiah means. The chosen one has come. He's a chosen and precious in the sight of God. It's affirmed also in the baptism of Jesus. When John the Baptist is baptizing him, you hear a sound from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, just for a second, I want to stop and think about how amazing it is that though Jesus is the precious and the chosen one, we still have John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his chosen and precious one, his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. How amazing is that truth that though Jesus was the perfect one, he was the second part of the triune God, the plan of redemption called him to show love to us by sacrificing his son. Though Jesus was the perfect delight of God, the Lord's plan of redemption was that he would lay our sins upon this chosen and this precious one. You see, it is because he is the precious one. He is so precious. He is worthy to stand in our place. Only Jesus had both the substance that he was human and the worth he was God to, be, to take the sins for all his people. But the text continues to tell us more about this precious and chosen one. Look to me at, with me at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Now we have to, we have to ask a few questions here. For a long time, I always, we were, when I got saved, there was a song that was real famous. It said, There's no God like Jehovah. And we talk about Zion, right? And I didn't understand what Zion was. So the, we have to ask, what is Zion? Well, Zion is a mountain right outside Jerusalem where the first temple was built. But it also is representative 
of the kingdom of heaven. It's a representative of the promised land. So we all in this one word, we have all wrapped up the kingdom of heaven that's been revealed in Christ. We have the promised land, which is ultimately revealed in heaven. And we have the temple. And specifically here, he's talking about this, this kingdom of heaven that is the new cornerstone of the new temple. So why is he, why, why is this talking about Christ as being the cornerstone of this temple? How is that so? Well, we, have, we have to know a few things about cornerstones, at least back then. I'm not positive about now. Doug could probably tell you more than I could. But the cornerstone back then, everything on the whole temple, on the whole building was measured according to this one cornerstone. If, if a little bit came off, it was cut off. It didn't belong. If, 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 if the cornerstone was to be broken... The whole house would crumble. This, this cornerstone would have been the same one that in the story of Samson, when he was chained up under the house, he pushed the two, the two blocks. There were two cornerstones there. And they pushed them apart and the whole building toppled in on each other. What I want you to see is that Christ is the cornerstone. No matter what you do with him, whether we reject him or we accept him as Christ, he is the cornerstone. What we do with Christ does not change who Christ is. I want you to see that. What we do with him does not change who he is. He, he, it's not dependent. Verse 7b says, and you go down in the verse, it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's still him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says, built, the, talking about the, the church and all the different parts of the church being built together. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What I want you to see is that, is that it is only because Jesus is the chosen and precious one, it is only because he is fully God and fully man that we can have hope. He is the cornerstone of our faith, but not just our faith. He's the cornerstone of all creation. We just got to going through a short set, uh, series in, for, in John. It was through Jesus that all things came into being. This cornerstone is not just the cornerstone of our faith, but the cornerstone of everything. Jesus was not an afterthought. It was the plan from the beginning that unfolded in the plan of redemption. But we will now turn from who Christ is as the most important piece to anything to who we are in light of Christ, in light of this chosen and precious cornerstone. The second person or group we see is the Christian. We're going to be looking at verse 5, part of 6, and part of 7. First, we, we, we need to start at four, though. As you come to him. Now, the way this is in the original language, it's not just coming to him one time and leaving. It's a continuously coming to a remaining and steadfast fellowship with him as you, as you stay with him. As you come to him. That's the first step of, 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 of your walk. If, let me just stop here and say, if you have not anchored your life in Christ, I don't mean walking an aisle or getting baptized. I don't mean, mean praying a few times. I don't mean coming to church. I mean, if you have not anchored your life in Christ, let me stop and just encourage you to do that. Come to him, remain in him. But most of you have, have come to him. Most of you have are remaining in him. So look to verse 5 as we see what remaining in him means for us. Verse 5, you yourselves... Like living stones. Now, wait a second. I thought Christ was the living stone. 
Isn't that what it said in verse 4? As you come to him, a living stone. Now, why was he called a living stone? He was called a living stone because of the resurrection. He was the one that is, was, is, and is to come. He's the one who has always been. He is the living stone. But now we are called these living stones that are building up this new temple. What's he talking about? Well, he's identifying us with Christ. We're identified with him in his resurrection. We're identified with him in his standing. What do I mean by that? Christ was perfect. Christ was, was, was the, the one who had never sinless. He's pure. We, because of who Christ is, when we come to him as living stones, we have that same standing as pure and right. And are the worth, we're identified with him as the worth as well. Everything that we just said about Christ has now been given to us. The thing that, that was said... Because of Christ, you are chosen and precious in the sight of God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, that's our old life, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or we can look to Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. For you have died, old life. Your old self, when you come to Christ, is gone. You're no longer identified as a stone. You're identified as a living stone with Christ. For you have died. And your life is hidden in Christ. With Christ in God. When Christ, who who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, we are identified with him because he is our life. If, if he's not your life, then you're not a living stone. If you're not a living stone, you need to come to him and be changed. Because there, there's a reality in this text that is grim and scary that we'll be getting to in a moment. That not everyone comes to him. That not even, Jesus said, even the ones that come to me are not mine. So we need to focus on this text. We need to focus on these words. And we need to check ourselves. We need to, we need to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says. It's because we identify with Christ, we can have assurance of our salvation. Because Christ has stood in our place and taken the penalty that you rightly deserved, so that you could have the reward that he rightly deserved. He remained just and yet was the justifier of our sins, says in Romans. Don't miss this. Don't don't, don't go on from this. This this truth is the reason for your faith. This truth is the reason your faith matters. If Christ is not really just, if God is not really just, then it doesn't matter what Christ did. Because he can sweep your sins under the rug. It's not that big of a deal. If it wasn't that big of a deal, Christ wouldn't have died on the cross. We are with him as the living stone. I want you to see that. But we're living stones not merely in our identifying with Christ. Peter is using a common analogy that runs throughout the whole of the Bible. One of the temple. Look at verse, the rest of verse 5. It says, it says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual, I went ahead, are being built up as a spiritual house. That's why I wanted to stop. I'm sorry. The, the language here points directly to the temple. We are the temple of the new covenant. Now, Barbara just read 
Haggai, and some of you probably think, why in the world are you having her read that text? Well, in that text, it says he's going to shake the nations. And he's going he's gonna to build this new temple. He said, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Beloved, we are the, the nations that were shook. We are the, this new temple that was brought together in Christ. I want you to see that. It says, it says and in this place, I'm back in Haggai, verse, chap, chapter 2, verse 9. And in this place... I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. We are living in this new temple that has been built by Christ. And every time someone turns to Christ, every time someone comes and anchors their life in Christ, that temple is growing bigger and bigger until the, the, last, the last picture of the temple we see in the book of Revelation. When Christ comes back and gathers his people, and there's the, the, the four corners of this, of this cube that's talked about in Revelation, we have this temple, but there's no longer sacrifice to this temple because Christ was the sacrifice and Christ is there and he is the, the, the sun, he is the, the light that shines. There's no more sun, there's no more moon. All the, all the pictures that pointed to Christ will have been fulfilled because we will live with Christ. Praise God for that. Beloved, we are the fulfillment of this promised temple that would, would be built. We are the temple that was coming. And we have been made clean and made precious by the shedding of his blood. No, no longer does God dwell in the temple made by human hands, but he dwells in the temple that was made by God himself. That's us. The spirit lives in us individually, but he lives in us communally as a church of God as well. And so, yet in the, in the New Covenant, Peter reveals that we are not only the temple, but that we're also the priests. I, I will go in, into this more next week, but this week, I want you to see that we carry out the function of the priesthood in these verses. Continue in verse 5. To be a holy priesthood, why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are many ways that we are similar, but the primary way that we are similar to the Old Testament priests is in the function. What was the function of Old Testament priests? Old Testament priests were to take care of the temple and they were to make sacrifices to God. They were to make sacrifices to God so that their sins would be, would be covered. We, it tells us, are to make spiritual sacrifices. So what in the world are spiritual sacrifices? Well, to find that out, we have to go four years back to my first sermon. Romans chapter 12. I'm sure everyone remembers that one by heart, right? Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There it is again. So how do we do it? We, our whole lives are focused on Christ. We're anchored with Christ as the cornerstone. That's why we sang that song today. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's arms. In Christ, we have been given a new occupation. We're called the priesthood of the believers. We've been given a new purpose in life. 
We have been made into ambassadors to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth and to help others see the glory of, of a life of living for Christ. To show them that they can have the same honor. It says in verse 7, placed in their life. And if they would just turn to him and believe, we can bring them this gospel. We can take this good news. Because the bad news is anyone who doesn't come to Christ is, is going to get their just punishment. But we have the antidote. We have the key. We have the, 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 the vaccine for this, this virus. It's Christ. Christ and Christ alone. Offer your life as living sacrifices. Your life is his. It is time. Now is the time. This morning, ground yourself in Christ and let him be the cornerstone of your life. Not just on Sunday morning, not just Wednesday night, but all throughout the week. May he be the reason you breathe. But this sad reality is, as I've already alluded to, is that not all will come to Christ. Some by their own volition, continuously reject the Lord and his plea through you to receive Christ. That's the, 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 this will introduce us to the final group. We're going to see the final group is the contrary. I had to get another word with C. The contrary. Those that won't accept Christ. Verse 7b to the end. says Starting in verse 7b, it says this. So the honor... Is for those who believe. That's the Christian. But for those who do not believe, the contrary, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, Christ is Christ no matter what you think. Christ is Christ whether you believe him or not. I, I, I was remember a sermon one time when they were talking about the word of God and, and they were talking about going out and evangelizing. And they, they said he started opening his Bible and the guy said, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. I don't believe in that. And he just kind of looked at him. And so he asked him, if, if we were in a sword fight, if we were fighting and you told me you don't believe in my sword, what do you think I'm going to do with it? I'm still going to use it to attack. I'm still going to use it to fight. Whether you believe it or not, it is what it is. Jesus is the cornerstone whether we accept it or not. Either he's going to be the cornerstone of the foundation about on which all of our life is built, or, verse 8, he's going to be the cornerstone which is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is a somber text. But, but I just want you to see again that Christ's role as cornerstone does not depend upon our faith. He is the cornerstone. He is either the cornerstone that will be measured by, or he is the one that we will trip over and be judged by. It doesn't change. For many in our, our world, Jesus is a stumbling block. They think that it's too good to be true. I was told that all the time when I worked in the prison. It's just too good to be true that someone else could stand in my place and take my punishment. They were, they were dealing with, they had stood in a jury. They had stood in front of a jury and been convicted. And for them, it was so real. It was so real to, to say that someone else stood up and said, no, I did it. That's what Jesus did for us. He stood up when we should have been convicted and say, no, it's mine. Place the punishment on me. But God did not want fairness. 
He wanted justice. It wouldn't have been fair. It would have, it would have been fair is for us all to be counted with the contrary. For us all to be left to our own sins and to, to, to die and experience eternal punishment in hell. But God didn't want fairness. He wanted justice. So, so it says, listen to me, it is only by the grace of God that Jesus is not a stumbling block and a rock or offense to everybody. If Jesus had not opened your eyes, you too, in, in, instead of receiving honor, verse 7, would receive fairness. Ephesians 2 tells us what that fairness looks like. Ephesians 2, and you, remember, this is Paul writing to Christians, and you... We're dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the, the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So wait a second, that's you. We're sons of disobedience, among whom, just in case you missed it, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God. Praise God for those two words. But God didn't leave us to ourselves. But God didn't give us what's fair. What's fair is not that we get Jesus. What's fair is not that we get heaven. What's fair is that we get paid for our punishment. We get punished for our sins. But God is the sweetest thing you could ever hear after that. But you were you were apart from God. You were a part of the contrary. But God, you too were would get fair fairness. But God, beloved, praise God that He did not leave us in our sins, but that He called you, He justified you, and He made you right. If you're here today and you have not come to Him, if you you have not remained in Him, come to Him this morning. Be counted as among the Christians and no longer as part of the contrary. The text continues and closes out rather grimly. Look back at verse 8. They stumble because they disobeyed. That's important. They disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. The idea of being destined to disobey the word is a hard concept but let, let us think about the, this just for a moment. John MacArthur wrote this. He says, These were not appointed by God to disobedience and unbelief. Rather, these were appointed to doom because of their disobedience and unbelief. The judgment upon unbelief is just as divinely appointed as salvation by faith alone is appointed. You may be saying, great, you quote some guy that's saying something I don't understand to help us understand something I don't understand. Well, that's so that he gets the, 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 the blame for it, not me. Just kidding. But what, what that means is that, that that which is being destined in this text is not the who, but the what. It is appointed that justice will come. It will either come upon you or will come upon Christ. Either you will pay for your sins or Christ will. Romans 9, verse 22. Last text I'm quoting, I promise. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? 
God has been so patient with us. God has been so patient with your friends and your family that don't know Christ. But he's sending you. He's sending you as the Christian, as, as the one who loves them and loves Jesus, to tell them this glorious news so that they will not be counted among the contrary, but they will be counted, among, with, out, counted with Christ. But I beg you this morning to make sure that you're counted among the Christians and not among the contrary. Justice must happen because we serve a just and holy God, but he loves us enough to have a plan of redemption for all who would place their faith in Christ. If you have not done that this morning, today's the day. Come forward, talk with me, sit where you are, pray to Christ, and ground your life in him. If you've done that this morning, you're not off the hook. If you're already living there, if you're already grounded your life in him, he's your cornerstone, I want you to look at your life and see how you're doing in your new occupation that I've told you about this, this morning. As a holy priesthood. He's made us holy priests. How are your spiritual sacrifices? Remember we said from, Ro- from, from Romans chapter 12, you live your life as a spiritual sacrifice. Your life as worship. How is your life pointing to Christ? How are you doing as, in, in bringing and interceding for the lost? How are you doing in telling people of this glorious news that you've been giving? This, this antidote to the, to the worst viruses that we've ever seen is that Jesus died for sins. I want you to see that. If you, if, I, I can't tell you how you're doing specifically. Only you can say that. You and God can say how you're doing as offering spiritual sacrifices. What I can tell you, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in your walk, everyone in this room can do better. It's a fair statement. We can all do better than we did yesterday, than we did last year. We can all come to God and we can live a life of sacrifice for him. So that's my challenge to you. Let's do better. Let's, let's worship him more in the sight of all, no matter where we are. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are the good God that we come to, the good God that identifies us with your son. Father, I pray we wouldn't squander that. I pray we wouldn't waste that. But that we would live a life of sacrifice, seeking you, seeking your goodness, and seeking your mercy for all that we know and all that we come across. Father, I love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.